How has working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. going on? Greetings and good day and welcome back to Birds All Day. My name is Drew Fairservice. It is the middle of May and I don't know that we're that much closer to playing baseball. Maybe. Maybe they're closer to playing baseball. Maybe it's no better an idea today than it was last week when we talked about it or the two weeks before that. But nonetheless, we're ready to soldier on. And there is no one with whom I would rather soldier than the person who uh, joins me. He joins me every single week. Well, as, always. as always. As yeah, always. And he joins yeah. me as always, as, is what go. I was trying to say, what, it, and yeah. what he's trying to say. Andrew Stoughton, Stoughton, how are you? Well, first of all, I'm old reliable. Yes. We bungled the pattern, but that's fine. We bungled uh, also, the pattern. We're, we're trying to change it up. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are, we, are fine. we trying to change it up? Maybe we need to. Maybe we need to. Is, it, Maybe. is, this, is all of this all our fault for not changing up the pattern? It is, you know, I was this, by which I mean, you know, gesturing broadly at everything. So I was talking about this with somebody on 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 Twitter recently that they had to they had to they obviously didn't play the World Series in 2015, uh, 2017 World Series canceled, 2018 World Series canceled, and and then who won last year? I don't even remember. Oh, the Nationals. So basically, there's only one uh, of the last, however many, or two of the last, like four or five. But then when you think about it, a lot of people attribute the Cubs winning the World Series to like kind of bringing about the end of the world, which is like totally fair. I totally get that. But then I started thinking back a little bit and I kind of pinpointed it to the actual bat flip in 2015. That moment was actually the end of the world. The world ended in that moment, the moment that his bat Connected with that pitch from Sam Dyson, uh, the exit velocity was actually uh, the end of the world. Like he hit the ball so hard, it exploded all of uh, time <laughs> and reality the, as the we know it. The intensity of the building just the, opened up such a chasm in in the planet that it all. We use words like fever pitch all the time, but that was it. It was that was the spark. Or the, the, like the match that lit the flame that ignited the end of the world. So the moment that the ball, the ball left his bat, he threw his bat up in the air. And then by the time it landed, we were in a simulation um, that was bringing about the end of the world. So we're just like slowly easing our way down the mountain. Like we are uh, tobogganers. <laughs> so we're just digging our little heels in as we're trying to push our way down to get down the hill so that uh, all this can be over. Um, I, but uh, but uh, to, to that point, that's all, all I will say is, Congratulations to Jose Bautista. You did it. That's, I think, what you were always destined to do. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and good on you. Good on you. Bring about the apocalypse, which is, you know, <laughs> kind of when he was yelling at umpires, that's what he was mad about. He's like, do you understand how important this is? Every at-bat matters because the one I'm going to take in October 2015 will be the last that anybody takes. Not that much closer to playing baseball, but maybe there's a lot of talk. There was a proposal, apparently, that went from the league to the union. The players seem to be re-galvanizing uh, into action. You see them on, on Instagram or on Twitter being like, oh, we might be able to play ball soon. Um, but we don't know. There's still a lot of questions to be asked. Sean Doolittle, for, uh, pitcher for the Nationals, was asking some very pointed... <laughs> Such and, as why or how? Why yeah. or how? Uh, there's a good story <laughs> that Ken Rosenthal wrote on The Athletic today, speaking to the many and, uh, and numerous immunocompromised players, players who have... Uh, uh, underlying health issues that are at a greater risk of catching COVID-19. They talked to David Dahl, who had to have his spleen removed. They talked to, you know, we've got Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, two guys who have beat cancer. Trey Mancini's in that boat as well. They're diabetic players all around baseball. Brandon Morrow is, is one that uh, people who are listening to the yeah. show 
will know. Uh, Carlos uh, Carlos Carrasco. He yeah. is also a uh, – he had leukemia last season and he had a, a heart uh, uh, procedure as did Kenley Jansen. Carlos Carrasco, I bring his name up. His name caught my eye mm. because he was the subject of conversation in the interview that we conducted for this week's edition of Birds All Day, which is, of course, the podcast that we, you, Andrew Stoughton, me, your fair service, we talk about your Toronto Blue Jays every week here on The Athletic. Even if you're not a subscriber, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can do it at uh, Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify. You can do it on Overcast. You can do it on Stitcher. And, of course, you can do it right on in within The Athletic ecosystem itself. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I think that you should. I think you can go to theathletic.com slash birds all day and sign up for a tasty little deal. I believe it's 40% off if you sign up for the year. So go and do that. Subscribe to the to the Athletic. Read everything that Stoughton writes. Read everything that Ken Rosenthal writes, that Keith Law writes, that Caitlin McGrath writes, writes that Lindsay Adler writes, that people write about West Ham United. You can read, uh, what's his name, Roshan. He writes about West Ham if you want to read. I don't know why you would want to do that if you're me, but not many. Uh, maybe there's, there's two other people. There's a guy, Silverleg Hammers, who I follow on Twitter, who uh, who I interact about West Ham with him, and or they. I don't know Silverleg Hammers. So there's no gender impl- implied there. And there's a, there's a few. There's the few and the proud. And there's even there's one person who is Dutch and a West Ham fan. So, uh, so you know, wait connections waiting to be made. But the reason that we're talking about Carlos Carrasco is this week on Birds All Day, we talked to Todd Zolecki of MLB.com. He is the author of Doc, The Life of Roy Halladay, a new book that comes out on May 19th, which is just next week. Anywhere you get books, I would recommend going and hooking it up, doing a lot of bookstores. You can do like a curbside pickup. Give them a call and be like, yo, I want Doc, and they'll get it to you. It's a, a, a really uh, interesting look at Roy Halladay's life. Uh, and, and as well as his death as well, um, but also some awesome anecdotes in there, some cool behind the scenes stuff, stuff I didn't know, stuff you didn't know. So why don't we do that? What do you think? I'm into it. You're into it. Carlos Carrasco was implicated in one of the Roy Halladay trades. Rumor has it. It, so, it was very similar to the uh, to the Cliff Lee trade. And frankly, uh, after I read Todd's book. I got very mad at J.P. Ricciardi again. It was a feeling that I hadn't had for a lot of years, but uh, but there it was. Just washed over you. Just put it on like a nice warm blanket. Like, oh, this feels oh, so nice. It was. It feels so good to be mad at J.P. Ricciardi again. God, what I wouldn't give. What I wouldn't give to be resentful of J.P. Ricciardi for any number of reasons. You know what I'm most mad about J.P. Ricciardi for? It's making me half-assedly defend him online back in the day when I could barely mm-hmm. write. Not that I can write it all now, but I was even worse then, and I was like, "Well, at least- well, Bo, well, Bo helped, but yeah, he did help." <laughs> Fuck you! Don't tell, don't, don't give him that satisfaction. I never would, insane. never once, never once in his life. <laughs> Nonetheless, he does anyway. not deserve any satisfaction. Uh, he has more than enough on his own to go around. <laughs> <laughs> We could talk about your friends and and my acquaintances as much as we want after this. But before we do that, let us go. We'll take a little break. Maybe not even a little break. We'll go, we're going to go. We're going to talk to Todd Zalecki of MLB.com. We're going to talk about Doc. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the soup of the day. We're going to talk about Blake Snell. We're going to talk about baseball's plan to come back. We're going to talk about uh, Blue Jay prospects who could factor into short and MLB season. I'm just reading athletic headlines now. We're going to just steal Caitlin's work and just reiterate it here to you on the <laughs> podcast, which if you haven't caught on, that's kind of just what yeah. we do anyway. Let's go. Let's talk to Todd about Roy Halladay, a very worthy subject. On today, uh, today we're recording this on Thursday. It's actually Roy Halladay's birthday. Um, so happy birthday to Roy. Of course, he's been gone nearly three years now. So break. Todd. Halliday, come back. Blue Jays baseball here on this edition of Birds All Day. All right. As we mentioned before, it is our pleasure at this time to be joined by the author of Doc, The Life of Roy Halliday. He covers the Phillies for MLB.com. We're excited to be joined right now by Todd Zolecki. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, it's... It might be a bit of a maybe a bit of a weird time to be selling a book for a, for a bunch of different reasons. A, a baseball book. I mean, there's uh, ordinarily you'd be kind of trying to squeeze in all of this media and doing the, a press junket. I'm sure it's a, it's a full junket. They're lining them up for you uh, 
here uh, w- without any baseball to play. So how, how are you handling uh, this kind of no sports, stay at home, be safe time? Yeah, it's it's very weird. We've really been, um, I have a four-year-old and one-year-old at home. And so my wife and I, we've been staying close to home as much as possible. And it is very weird because like every couple days I'll look at the schedule and go, oh, I should be in Chicago right now. Or, oh, I should, the Phillies should be playing the Brewers or or whatever the case may be. And Meanwhile, <laughs> there's nothing going on, and uh, I just got an email the other uh, today actually about the book uh, signing that had been scheduled. And they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, we're canceling that," I, which I had already kind of figured, but they sent me the official email <laughs> today saying, uh, "Don't worry, forget about that 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 book signing because you know bookstores are all closed everywhere right now." It's the right thing to do at the right. time, unfortunately, but right. uh, it's amazing to think that you were able to kind of, you know, being being on the beat and doing that, never even really being quite sure, where do we go next? Am I in Chicago? Am I in my own bed tonight? And in the process of that, you wrote a book. You wrote a book about one yeah. of the best players in Blue Jays history, uh, one of the best pitchers in Phillies history, which is saying something, Hall of Famer. Uh, uh, before we dive into it, I, I'm, I'm interested to know, hear about what was the process like for you for writing a book, not only about this kind of, in some ways, larger than life figure, but a man, of course, who tragically died uh, before yeah. you were able to write, the, write, the, write his story. Yeah, you know, I knew it was going to be a tough book to write because of, of the way Roy died and the circumstances around it. But what kind of the reason why I wanted to write it, there's really kind of two things. And and one is, you know, the story that everybody kind of already knows, which is, you know, former first round draft pick, uh, almost throws a no hitter in a second big league start. He's, he's terrible in 2000, gets sent down to a ball in 2001. Right. And I really want, I've read a lot about it. I, you know, but I really kind of wanted to get into how he, he, he kind of resurrected his career. And the second part about it is, I always he always talked about Harvey Dorfman a lot, and it really struck me after his career how he said that you know I want to help people the way that Harvey helped me, and he actually started to do that. He took that mental skills coach job with the Phillies and, and started help people. So that was kind of like my, I guess my uh, inspiration to write it, or my the reason I why I wanted to write it. And then once I started to write it, I knew I had to try to get a hold of Brandy and 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 see if she could would talk to me about the book, uh, about Roy and, and his life. And, and, you know, I, I talked to her several times last year and that, and that really kind of got the ball rolling for me, got the juices flowing. And then it was just, you know, talking to any catcher I could get a hold of, you know, that caught Roy, any pitching coach, any manager, you know, as many people as I possibly could. Uh, and, and it, you know, he ended up getting a lot of really fun baseball stories out of this thing as well. You don't have to go too far to get good baseball stories from uh, about Roy Halladay from baseball players. Uh, yeah. there's, there's, like because of his stature in the game, and just because of the the high level of skill and and the craft uh, that that he dedicated himself to, uh, the 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 superlatives and the the way that people describe him is uh, is is really something. Was was there someone that you talked to that really like almost gave you a bit of a, a fresh perspective? Um, based on, you know, kind of what you knew from from covering him and, and, and being in the clubhouse there with him for a while? You know, I, I think to me, some of the catchers that caught him early in his Blue Jays career, kind of in that span of when he came back in 2001, 2002, guys like Ken Huckabee and, and Tom Wilson and, and some of, you know, uh, Kevin Cash, who now manages the Rays, it was kind of fun too, because when I started covering Roy with the Phillies in 2010, he was already like rock star, Cy Young, you know, Roy Halladay. And, and, you know, talking to those catchers as he was kind of turning the corner there, it was kind of fun to see how he progressed from not being super assertive to all of a sudden like becoming really assertive on the mound, becoming more focused on the mound, and then kind of seeing that transformation take place. That was kind of cool uh, for me as I kind of started digging into this um, and, and talking to people. So you were covering the Phillies when he was traded uh, over there. Yeah. What what was what kind of reputation did, did you have of him or, or that you knew of him? And, and how did that sort of evolve? Again, he, he's a guy who, who seemed outwardly a little bit almost like unknowable, but then you describe how he sort of dedicated, you know, his, the later parts of his life to, to coaching and mental skills. And like, as you said, trying to help people, what, what was that sort of perception versus the reality as you got to, to know him in that professional context? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because you kind of heard like 
almost like legendary stories about his work ethic and whatnot. And and he kind of just like, I thought he lived up to the hype once he came to, to Clearwater uh, in spring of 2010. And it's interesting. I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but early in my journalism career, uh, I, I worked at a newspaper outside Chicago and I got to cover a Chicago Bulls practice one day and they take you into the practice center there. And then at the end of practice, they raise this all like curtain up and Michael Jordan was like on the other side of the glass shooting free throws. And it was the first time I went, Whoa, that's like, that guy's a superstar. Mm-hmm. And now, now flash forward years and years later, you know, I'd covered Chase Sutley and Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard with the Phillies. But that first day I saw Roy, uh, Roy Halladay come into the clubhouse. I was like, Whoa, that's Roy Halladay. He's in the Phillies clubhouse. This is pretty cool. You know, he he kind of had that aura about him. And so I think he definitely lived up to the hype in terms of what people, you know, just what people thought he was going to be and what he thought, was, thought he was going to, you know, do. And then in terms of as I, you got to know him a little bit, he didn't really let you in too much. But every mm-hmm. while he would pull the curtain back and he would let you into his thought process and he would, you know, uh, he would talk about his relationship with Harvey Dorfman and, and he would talk about – the mental side of the game and how much of a challenge that is for him and, and, you know, how bit, how important that was for him to be, to become the best. And I, you know, and again, I, I later in his career, as he talked about Harvey Dorfman a lot and he said, I want to help, I want to get, give back. I want to help other people. I thought that was a very, um, an interesting thing, you know, cause he, he definitely struggled throughout his life. And I think he knew that there were other people out there struggling like him. And, and I think he wanted to try to help those people if he could. For sure, that, that's absolutely an, an interesting uh, uh, aspect of it, and, and I, I want to ask you about that in in one second. But before I do, mm-hmm. I do want to ask about the trade. There's some really uh, really interesting, yeah. especially from a Blue Jays fan perspective, um, stuff about the trade uh, uh, and as it went down from a Blue Jays perspective, and sort of the way that that the, that Halliday and his family sort of approached. I don't know the demand for a trade or or their perspective on the trade. Uh, again, what, like I guess there was a, a story where he was considering. You mentioned Chicago, maybe looking at being open to a move for the White Sox. It sounded like there was like a, there was a lot more machinations going on behind the scene than a, a lot of us on the outside would have recognized. Yeah, there were a lot of match machinations in this trade, and you know Roy had become frustrated. He knew he had only so many years left to compete, and so he started to kind of force the hand in the trade. He was really disappointed. He again didn't get traded in July of 2009. Then after the season ended, you know, J.P. Richardi gets fired. Alex Anthopoulos takes his place. Uh, his agents reach out to uh, Paul Beast and, Al- and Alex and basically say, you know, listen, um, Roy is not going to resign after after the 2010 season. So, you know, no matter, it's not about money. You could offer him a billion dollars. You know, he, he just wants the chance to compete and, and you guys are going to try to rebuild again. So it's, it's just not going to happen. And he basically said, it's going to be the Phillies or it's going to be the Yankees. And um, Alex was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And he was trying to like maybe push the Angels, maybe get the White Sox, maybe some other teams involved. And and finally, you know, Jeff Barry and Brody Van Wagenen and Greg Lander, his agent said, you got to stop messing around here. It's got to be the Phillies or the Yankees. And then finally they ended up getting that deal done. But, you know, it was, uh, you know, they had to come to Philly. The agents had to come to Philly to negotiate the contract extension. There was a point when the Phillies thought it wasn't going to happen and his agents thought it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, Roy kind of stepped in and said, you guys have to make this happen. This is (laughs) too far. We're in a hotel room in Philadelphia. No one knows we're here. We're hiding out basically. I can't leave without a, a contract extension being reached. We've got to we, we've got to come to agreement, and they came to agreement. I guess the rest is history. Uh, I I would say though, I mean, I you know, having looked through the book, uh, it, from a, again from a Jay's perspective, uh, the offer that was made in uh, in July of two thousand nine that JP Ricciardi turned down probably a better offer than than what the Jays ended up getting. I think you was it Carrasco and Hap. Yeah, Hap was like yeah, Hap was yeah, Hap was in that deal. Yeah, I mean that the original deal. It it is funny, isn't it? Like at the time, the Phillies were like the Blue Jays wanted Dominic Brown and Kyle Drabeck, and and the Phillies were like, not in a million years will we give you those two guys. They're our top two prospects, <laughs> and and the Phillies were like, how about Jay Hap? We threw in Jay Hap, and, and the Blue Jays at that time were like, yeah, like, that's not going to get it done, and. 
you know, Kyle Drabeck had injuries. Dominic Brown did not pan out at all. And, and Jay Happ is, was, you know, of all the players that were discussed and all those little different back and forth, you know, the best player in that deal probably. The best player in the deal who also had his probably his best years with the Blue Jays of all teams. Yeah, like, down, yeah down the road, right, right. It's absolutely. just so fun. So I remember being like very online at that time. And yeah, Don Brown was the name that none of us, you know, and Philly fans, I know uh, Philly fans were crazy for him and it would have killed them to, to have given him up at the time. But I think, I think in the end, uh, everybody's kind of happy with how, well, other than Blue Jays fans are happy the way that it works out. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, Roy got his trade. He got his, he, you know, he just, he so badly wanted to see how he would do in the postseason, you know, he had seen his best friend, Chris Carpenter go with the Cardinals and win a world series. And he had seen all these other pitchers that he had dominated in the regular season. And he just, he just wanted to know, you know, can I do it? Can I do it? And he knew he had to get, he, he had to kind of force his hand there. And, and it was, it, you know, it, it, in the book, it, Alex Anthopoulos is really cool about it. He said, you know, uh, as much as I hated the fact that he had, he basically said, it's these two teams are nowhere. I had to respect him. And he's like, this is a guy who anytime we called him, we're like, hey, we're bringing in A.J. Burnett for a visit. Can you come up to 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 tour around with him? You know, we're bringing in Gil, you know, whatever. Gil Mesh. Gil Mesh. Yeah. You know, it's like and, and Roy would fly up from Florida to come to Toronto in the winter to to go to a a, a Maple Leaf game because he wanted their, he wanted to win there so badly. And the, and the other thing I thought was interesting is in talking to Roy's agents, they said that Roy made a point, and Alex said this too, that, that Roy told them unprompted, uh, you know, listen, I, I know this is going to be a big PR hit for you. If you need to pin it all on me and make me look like a bad guy so, I, so, I don't, so the organization doesn't get hurt, I'm totally okay with that. Like he was in a, in a, in a way, you know, it was weird or, or kind of cool he wanted out, but he also respected the Blue Jays so much and loved Toronto so much that he didn't want, like, you know, to hurt anybody or make the organization look bad in the process as much as he wanted to leave so he could make the postseason. So I guess something, again, that you touched on, it's in the book uh, uh, discussing, uh, again, the, the side of, of Roy that maybe we didn't see. And then even as, as different kind of news has, has come out, um, uh, here, even recently, I you know from long yeah. after the, the the book would have gone to, would have gone to print. Um, maybe what I'll ask you is if you're writing if when 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 you get the second edition of this book when it's flying off the shelves, they can't keep it in the stores <laughs> and they need you to write another one. Would you what would what kind of stuff might you be looking at or what would you maybe add or or change for a second edition? You know that's a great question. Um, I'll be honest with you. So like when the when the the last stuff that came out uh, in terms of, you know, the NTSB report, there really there was just there was more details in there, but the the gist of it and and the circumstances around it, I I I, I tried to address in my book as much as possible um, with Brandy because you know at, at soon after Roy Roy died, um, there were you know the NTS the initial NTSB report and the coroner's reports and things like that, and so I addressed that as much as I could. Now, it, you know. Certainly, there are uh, there are people that I would love to still talk to. I did. I never got a chance to uh, connect with Braden Halliday, Roy's oldest son. Um, you know, I would have I would have loved to have talked to him. Uh, but in terms of changing anything in the book or maybe adding stuff to the book, um, you know, I, I I don't really I don't really know how much I would add. I mean, uh, you know, there's. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty uh, content with with what I did. I mean, certainly there are some people. Like I said, there's some people I wish I could have talked to. Carlos Ruiz was like Roy Halliday's favorite catcher. Lives in mm -hmm. Panama. Couldn't get him on the phone. I, I tried for <laughs> months. You know, it's like it's those types of things that you wish you could get. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, down the road, you can maybe add something to the book. Uh, we don't want to take too much more of your time. Uh, again, no. thank you so much for for coming. I I hope that you know the not it's maybe not the the place for your book, but I I think and I hope that that uh, that 
Brandy coming, no, coming clean, but discussing his struggles with depression, his struggles with anxiety, something that maybe we wouldn't, uh, we, we didn't know, uh, the, you know, people who yeah. just admire him and put him up on this pedestal and maybe, you know, contributed to the pressure he's put. My hope is that he can, you know, while he said he wanted to, to make, improve people's lives through, through his work and through his mental skills, I hope that, that both of those things can, can come, uh, um, in the aftermath of his, of his death and that we can have, continue to have these kinds of conversations about, about anxiety and depression and that there's no one time and and you know you can't tell by looking at somebody what they're going through yeah and, and you know that's been kind of it, the 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 book's been on you know you can get it on kindle right now or whatever but so the the people the first i'm getting some like early feedback from people and that's been a really cool part of uh some of the early feedback is people saying hey you know i've had some people message me and say hey listen i i went i've gone i've gone through stuff and it's you know um you know it's Everybody has struggles. Everybody deals with something. And, and Brandy talked to me a lot about this. She said, hey, you know, something that's really easy for you might be hard for me. And something that's hard for me might be really easy for you. And and yes, even Roy Halliday, the great Roy Halliday, 6'5", 235 pounds of muscles, you know, nasty stare, Cy Young Award winner, perfect game thrower. You know, he 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 was dealing with stuff as well. And, you know, that doesn't make him less of a person. It just makes him just like you and me, you know, and, and I tried to convey that throughout the book as much as possible. And, and that's been, um, that, and that was a, you know, you mentioned earlier, like kind of like goals and stuff like that going into the book. Um, as I got deeper and deeper into it, that was a part of the story that I really wanted to kind of convey and, and tell, you know, that, that he was going through things and, you know, he was battling anxiety and depression and, you know, he was really battling from, you know, childhood on and, 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 um, you know, for a while there, he could, on the baseball field, he could kind of channel that and, and, and focus to become one of the best pitchers in the game. Absolutely. It's, it's really a, it's a compelling story. Uh, Doc, the life of Roy Halladay is available on May 19th in Canada and the U.S., wherever you get your books online or in real life. Uh, and also today is, uh, is Roy Halladay's birthday. May 14th yeah. when we're recording this. So uh, so happy birthday uh, to Roy. Todd, thank you so much. Uh, all the best and, and good good luck with this book. I'm sure that there'll be uh, lots of them flying around as, uh, well, we got nothing else to do. So read the damn book, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot for having me. It was fun. Awesome. All right. That's Todd Zolecki of MLB.com, everybody. Thanks a lot. All right. That was awesome. So cool to check uh, to chat with Todd about his book and discuss uh, uh, Roy Halliday. And uh, and his legacy and and his career and as I said at the end there uh, definitely go check out the book uh, I read a ton of it today and uh, and really liked it and also I really I wanted to I've, I've probably told this story before but Todd mentioned how he uh, when Roy was first in the in the dressing room and he was kind of like whoa and uh, I had that exact same experience when I had for, was first kind of going into the clubhouse and like going on the field and doing like being a good boy reporter. Uh, which was just so funny to me because that was never at, at any point was that ever going to be my career. I did not study and was not ever focused on that. But then I ended up there and it was one of the first times I went. I hadn't been that many times and I was running late and the Phillies were in town and uh, Roy Halladay was hurt. So this would have been 2012 and I didn't expect, I was like, oh, I don't know, these guys even like travel with the team so i ran i had been in the dressing in the in the in the clubhouse and i was running out to the field and i kind of had my head down and i wasn't even really looking and i almost ran right into roy halliday he was walking from like the dress the the clubhouse the visitors clubhouse to the gym and i was just kind of running in, through his path and i had to stop and he kind of looked and just kept on walking and i was like what the fuck <laughs> that was all i could think and he just looked at me and he kept on walking like and, and he's enormous and it was like extremely roy halliday and i was like and then he walked away and then he came out and he actually did stretch and all that stuff for the team. So then after that, I was fine. And, and Carlos Delgado was actually there that day too, which was super weird. But that moment, and he looked and I looked and I was like, what? Like, I'll never forget it. It was so weird. and so wild. And again, like uh, as Todd said, he's a he, reality. was just a big, big dude and like a big presence. And he had like, he wasn't pitching, but he still had just that, that demeanor. Because then a couple of years later, when he came back and threw the first pitch after he retired in 2014, 
he was a completely different experience. He was like scrumming on the field and was like way more laid back and he had just retired and he had terrible jeans on. And I wrote, I wrote all about that that one night. That was a really cool night for me. That was Masahiro Tanaka's first start in the big leagues. And I was in the shitty fucking auxiliary press box, which is now the only press box. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and it sucked being stuck way out there, but I had a, I was writing about, about Masahiro Tanaka and then Halliday like wandered out onto the field with his kids and was like, Pretending they they were pitching his 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 son his sons were like pretending to pitch and they were running around they were all gunned up on sugar and it was late and they just kind of walked out on the pitch and he did like a like he pretended to, to throw on the mound there was like nobody else there in the whole stadium it was wild it was like they had the leaf blowers out and there I am being like Masahiro Tanaka sure likes to throw that first pitch curveball that he actually doesn't do anymore but <laughs> it was that was a fun night those are my two like kind of random Roy Halladay stories that if I, I've if definitely I shared before. Yeah. If I may ask, I don't know if you've shared this before. Give us some more detail on the weird jeans. He had bad jeans. <laughs> like they were not good jeans. They did not fit. Well, well. Nobody in those days had good jeans. It was 2014. It wasn't that mm, long ago. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, yeah. Okay. And it, it, I, I, I don't want to. The, the, what they were, were they were. You don't want to speak ill of, of the dead and the legendary, but. Look. He he's a, he he made a lot of money playing baseball. <laughs> they were the kind of jeans that that someone would buy because they're expensive, not because they're good. They were probably like Rock and Republic or like you know seven. Did they have like seven fake holes in them? No, but they just did. They were like oh, they were too baggy for a guy who's like so tall and slender. Um, and they were just baggy and like bad wash. But they were very. They, they looked like they were expensive, but they were bad. Um, and he just he didn't look as I would I. I'm like, Roy, come on, my guy, we'll get you some pants. But uh, <laughs> I will, I, I will say this. I will say this, though. I don't think any of us would have ever wanted to see Roy Halliday in skinny jeans. So you could buy jeans that fit. There's a, there's a, there's a line. There's, there are, there are shades of gray in there. It turns out as, as the, the more uh, I try not to, but the more I, uh, you know, look into the, the photo archive of my past. Yeah, there are some, uh, Decisions I may have made differently now. There's some big ass jeans in the past. (laughs) There are some big, big, big jeans in back in the day. Big jeans, big pants. I had this pair of cargo pants that I bought at like the, like a, like an army supply store in London, Ontario, (laughs) near like East, the East shitty East end of London. Way too big. Like what was I even thinking? Or yeah, any old picture of me, especially when I was in, in Korea, those pants were not good. They were bad pants a lot of the time. They were real big. Well, and, well, and that t-shirts. Was, that too. was that was the early fifties, though. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and the t-shirts too. Uh, when I first started going to like shows, I have all these cool shirts that I wish I could sell, but they're all extra large. Like, what was I thinking? I was seventeen years old, weighed like one hundred and seventy-five pounds, soaking wet, and I have all these XL t-shirts that are dresses even now when I don't weigh one hundred seventy-five pounds. <laughs> um, let's talk about baseball or talk around baseball. The kind of big story today is Blake Snell is the thing that people are talking about right now, which means that by the time people are hearing this, they won't be talking about Blake Snell anymore. But it's like, it's one of those issues that is like pretty a dividing line. And I saw a friend, a person I respect, who said something about to the effect of like, you know, those of us who kind of take the side of... I'll lump my. He wasn't describing me. You're, you're talking about Richard Petty. You saw Richard Petty. Uh, you're, I don't know. I didn't. See, when you say Richard Petty, I assume you're talking about some like a, that old NASCAR guy. But you're not. What's what was his king. name? The King. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, no. He was saying that we're talking about like the kind of pro laborish types who end up in 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 this in, in this person who uh, a friend who I respect was talking about white knighting for like in the players versus owners thing, which I get right. There's it's. It's hard to stomach people who are very wealthy on, on its face when they're talking about money. When Blake Snell is like, I'm going to get my money. Blake Snell is like, I make $7 million a year. And so it's easy to be like, oh, it's tone deaf. He's rich. He's playing. He, we're talking about him playing baseball. Look, at the end of the day, the dynamic is the same no matter what, how much money you make, I think. The dynamic is the same to be paid consummate for your uh, abilities to be paid consistent with what it is you are be paid in your industry and when a time like this comes along when the owners are like oh you know it seems pretty clear to anyone who wants to see it that the owners are lobbying for a hard salary cap that will be in place this year and not ever go away 
Uh, and, and, and Blake Snell was the one who sort of came out in a way that wasn't maybe, uh, voiced in the exact same way. Like, so the players have already agreed that if they play a shortened season, the salaries will be prorated. They're not, I don't think anyone is accusing Blake Snell of saying, I'm going to get paid my full, whatever he's due to make this year, seven and a half million bucks. I think what he's saying is that when the owners start crying poor, they're like, we're going to lose lots of money this year that they, to the fact the fact that they're going to Blake Snell and being like, we're going to have to ask you to take less. I don't know. I don't know if I, I, I don't, Blake Snell doesn't get more if they sell out every building, if they sell out every game, if the Rays make more money for when they sign a new TV deal, they don't give every player in the team a raise. Do they? Is that no, how that they works? Don't. No, they don't. And, and this is, I mean, this is like maybe sports media navel gazing, but yeah, like it, it's uh, obviously it's weird and it's a weird conversation for people to uh to see being played out so publicly with a guy like Blake Snell or baseball players or any athlete who makes millions of dollars complaining about salaries and about anything like that but but yeah i i think his point is great and i think the idea that like you know i think it's i think it's a great idea that 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 people should accept that you shouldn't capitulate to the, the fact that these guys, like you say, don't give them bonuses when their profits go up. They only ask things, the, the dynamic to change when it potentially hurts them. Is the owners, of course, is what I'm talking about. Uh, and yeah, it, it's... Uh, I don't know. It, it, we, we could talk about this and we have talk, we talk about this a lot on this podcast. We do talk about this a lot. And I, I swear... But, but, I sw- but, it, but, it is, but it's become a conversation about... You know, the Richard Petty tweet, for example, what, the so former executive in, who, hmm. the, an executive who, you know, was with MLSE or whatever it was called the uh, years ago, built literally a billionaire, owned the ri- sneering part. sneering at ba- Blake Snell for being like, you know, I deserve to get my contract honored as opposed to. Having to, and we're all in this together when times are bad, but when times are good, your contract is sacrosanct. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, you know, it, it, it's laughable and it's, it's really telling that Petty being uh, a sports executive and a guy who is very clearly on the ownership side uh, would just have a complete blind spot to the fact that, you know, when he, what he tweeted was, was basically saying like, "Oh, how dare you, Blake Snell, argue with your bosses about these millions of dollars when people are making ten dollars an hour working in a meat packing plant or whatever?" And uh, and his problem was Blake Snell as opposed to the fact that <laughs> the working people are only making ten dollars an hour. Uh, it, it's absurd. It's absurd, and it, and and it's very frustrating because when these labor issues and when this always, you know, whenever this comes up. And even now, you know, it was like this in 1994 and it's still like this today. People don't side with, you know, the millionaires against the billionaires, even though, you know, you probably should side against the billionaires. And it, it, it it's very it's very compelling, I think, because baseball players and because those guys get are, are so well paid. It's they, you, they're, they're they're easy targets, and it's you know it's baseball players frustrating. Baseball players, especially those who come out and are like, "Yo, I'm trying to get paid here." They don't make sympathetic figures for fans because it's been a very long and successful campaign to paint the players as greedy and to make the owners the they are sort of have kind of uh, insulated themselves from that kind of criticism uh and there one of the, the things that always comes back is like well the owner is the one who's who's putting themselves at risk the owners spend a hundred or a billion dollars on the team so they're the ones who are who are at risk so they're the ones who are due the the profit which is not exclusive to baseball but again a guy like blake snell who comes out and, and is saying things that you're not supposed to say when you quote unquote get paid to play a kid's game or, or especially in, in, if it's in a free-flowing f- situation like his Twitch, where he's just kind of riffing and just <laughs> says things that that in a more controlled environment you could put into better context. Like when he says, "I'm going to get my 
contract. It's, you know, when the, someone writes something and they're like, he wants to get paid his full contract. Well, he's going to get paid the prorated portion of his contract. That's what he's, 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 he, he is going to get, whether he has acknowledged it or expressed it or not. Um, it's just, a, it's a, to me, it's a bigger part of a bigger, it's a smaller part of a bigger issue, which is to say that, um, those who are, who are in the position to, to privatize profit and socialize cost, uh, seem to be really good at doing that. And that doesn't mm. mean that we need to stand by <laughs> and say like, yeah, you suck it, Blake Snell, you jerk. How dare you request that? Which again, when the, when you start looking at money and what other, what situations that other people are in, it's not fair. But one year ago, you know, Blake Snell was, was still set to make that much money and the, the baseball owner still had $10 billion of, of revenue or whatever that, that they maxed out at, at in 2019. And nobody was saying, how dare they make so much money when there are so many people who are struggling, when there are so many people who live below the poverty line. Like, we don't have those conversations. But suddenly, um, in these times when, the, when things change, uh, again, a, an unsympathetic character like Blake Snell, who's unabashed in the fact that he's like, yeah, pay me. Uh, because that's why I do this. I think it's 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 a really difficult. Well, the, pro- thing the to- problem is that Blake Snell is the unsympathetic character, and that the owners are not the unsympathetic character. Well, the owners don't have to be sympathetic. The owners just are, and and you can bemoan the owners all you want, but as soon as someone steps out of line and 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 does things that that class them as greedy or are they don't show the right kind of appreciation depending on who they are, or they aren't uh, they're too cocky or too or to inarticulate or are not doing the things that we have kind of the language that we have or the expectations that we've placed on these players who are so fortunate to have won the lottery. I mean, we were talking about Roy Halladay today, who is a big guy who's strong, uh, who was, you know, six foot six that maybe made him, had, gave him a greater chance to be a, to be a successful big league pitcher. My dad is six foot six. He didn't pitch in the big leagues. It's not just about <laughs> being tall, right? Roy Halladay worked for tirelessly from the time he was very young until the time where he was able to be paid as a, as a high, as a successful baseball player and then had to come all the way back and then continue to work again and build himself up to put himself in the position to earn that money by doing a very lucrative job in a very lucrative business very well. He gets paid for that. It's not because I, it's not that he should or shouldn't get paid more than a doctor or a nurse or someone who provides meals in a, in a healthcare facility. Those people should get paid. It's not that you know that's always. I feel like that's always the common a common thing. Something I read probably in some bullshit communist like a false thing. False dichotomy. Some, yeah. But like you know, it's not that he's overpaid. It's that you're underpaid. That's the, that's the, the the where we seem to fail. Where the, this whole idea of appreciation just gets dumped on these players. But and I. Sorry, I, I th- and I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, off air we were talking about the Last Dance a little bit, and I, you know, there were uh, uh, Jerry Colangelo was talking about, you know, paying Jordan while he was sorry, Reinsdorf, unquote, Reinsdorf. retired. Reinsdorf, yes, you're absolutely right. Jeez, uh, yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf talking talking about play, paying Michael Jordan while he was quote unquote retired, mm-hmm. and in the documentary he was basically like. Yeah, he made a lot of people a lot of money and was underpaid, so I just kept paying him his salary. I mean, that might be hagiography for Jerry Reinsdorf, but you know that that is sort of a spirit of commonality with other people that has just sort of been completely erased over the last like twenty twenty five years, right? Like, like now it seems like oh, we must grind these people into dust. Uh, it's a path we've taken that is that is really not great uh and we should speak about it when we have the chance uh which i think in this situation with how mlb is trying to like sort of force a restart of the game during a pandemic is 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 a chance to do it. And we've seen Sean Doolittle do it. Marcus Stroman, I don't know if you saw his tweets about like uh, Mark Deshera talking about like, oh, I would pay for play for pennies on the dollar just to provide entertainment to the baseball fans of America and get things back to normal. Stroman was just like big clown. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's easy to say that when you've already signed that like $150 million contract. And when you were like a really highly touted uh, prospect, who had a big, a big signing bonus and, and made your money. Like you've, once you've made your money, you look, it's easy to look back and, and again, 
that that idea when of you're donating uh, to Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. Yeah. Well, you got you make once you make the money, you put that work in. Mark share put the put the work in just like Roy Halladay did, just like every other, uh, uh, just like, like the just like the owners of baseball have done. Well, and and, and, and trying to force like the Save America's Pastime Act through Congress by <laughs> lobbying, quote unquote. You know, well, let's put a soft term on it: lobbying, which is basically just we're going to pay a bunch of people a bunch of money. And they're going to make sure. It reminds me. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to cut you off because we're going to go on and ramble. <laughs> but it, it it often reminds me of the when the when the Warriors and the uh, Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing in the NBA Finals, and LeBron was the was like the favorite. He was the he's so big, and and Steph Curry was the underdog. Steph Curry, whose father played in the NBA, who had been like to private schools, and just because he was smaller. It was he was cast as like this underdog, this person who had to overcome all this stuff. And LeBron, who had who gets to have quote unquote like God given talent, who at some when he was when he was young <laughs> was like sleeping in his car with his mother because they didn't have a home. So somehow LeBron has all the advantages because he's five inches taller, right? Not that LeBron worked, and not that LeBron worked to become a great basketball player and worked to become a a, a businessman and a, and an enterprise unto itself, and not like you don't see him doing incredible amounts of work at what is he 35 now who's been in the league for 17 years to to stay at the top and to continue to do the things to literally that he does. remember every play of every game he's ever yeah. been in but that's because of lebron like lebron <laughs> yeah. those are gifts of lebron's while steph curry is just like a regular person whose father played in the nba and like grew up around basketball and and had a scholarship and all like i don't know it's it's we, pretty we, good but but i know what you mean but we 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 put ourselves we we kind of slot people into these different spots Right, we kind of slot them in, and 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 again, Blake Snell is not the most sympathetic character, perhaps for some, because of the way that he speaks or because of the way that he uh, he he made these points. But that doesn't mean that he should accept ownership, kind of being like, "You're going to get less because we just don't feel like losing a little bit of money. We liked it when we were making money. Now we're not making money, so I don't know." Es- but- especially a member of the Rays, right? I mean, the team that is like on the bleeding edge of how can we extract money out of this game at the expense of not just players, but certainly players, but anyone, you know, it's just that mentality has taken over in the game. Uh, It reminds me, this is a bit of a weird tangent, but I've been watching a bunch of uh, uh, red letter media stuff lately. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know if you know what those those guys are, but but they uh, they've been watching like the new Star Trek franchises mm-hmm. and just complaining like exactly in the same way that baseball fans complain. There's like these these movies, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, whatever. They have been taken over by people who don't like Star Trek and don't care. They're just out there trying to scrape every dollar out of this franchise and you know that's that is sort of i think the mentality that has taken hold in the baseball industry as so many others uh and it turns out i hope i'm not being too controversial about this but it might be bad <laughs> whenever there's this much money involved people are going to have their backs up and they're going to be suspicious and again it's easy to be suspicious of the player when you when they publicize what they make when they're like when we know that blake blake snell has a 50 million dollar contract we know that marcus stroman is staring at like 115 million dollar that's why they do the sunshine list that's why the right-wing papers will be like look at what this like public servant makes we you know that's it's the same it's the same idea like we how dare you try to count my bag but anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's move on. You on the list? Not yet. Give me some time. <laughs> We're talking about the return to baseball. So let's maybe go through the latest. I don't know if there's any, if what people have seen. This is a few days old uh, from uh, Ken Rosenthal was talking about. Um, again, there are so, still significant hurdles to get over about uh, a regular season that might start in early July. Yeah, they're aiming for about 80 games. Uh, might be could be a few fewer, could be a few more. Uh, the, the more of a regionalized schedule, which again is is made in the which is designed in the in the in the in the in the mind of expedience. But I saw somebody actually making a good point, which is 
that like some of these changes are never coming back. If they if they shut if they reduce travel if they if they make the teams play more games at, at home or close to home or, or you know just with less kind of cross continental travel, there's nobody from the owners who are going to be uh, not spending so much money on travel costs versus the players who get to sleep in their own bed more often. Nobody's going to want to go back to the way that it was unless you play for Seattle and, and at which point you're miserable because you're driving <laughs> no matter where you are you're you're a long flight away. Um, or the uh, the DH is part of that, which Universal is, I think, a way to, is a way to uh, – that's a great sidetrack, right, to that whole conversation. It's like, oh, all these changes are going to happen. I, the Why D- do, uh, all the fans are going to talk about the DH, and we probably are about to also talk about it. I think DH. we should talk about the DH. Um, I, I know – I think I can guess how where you stand on it. You are in favor. Uh, no, how could you – how could anyone guess where I stand on anything? True. I, was, so you I are in favor I don't stand, of the DH? I don't stand on, on solid ground at any time. I refuse. <laughs> I will change my opinion instantly. Well, where are you right now on the DH then? I don't care. Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably why it's easy for me to not change my opinion on stuff. But uh, I, 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 you know, I don't need to see... Pitchers hit. It's terrible. You know, they're terrible at it. Uh, though, also, I have seen the argument that uh, that would suggest, who cares? That's the way it is. It doesn't, it doesn't, we don't, we don't have to, like, like, try to reach perfection of lineups. We can just be like, yeah, that's just, that's a quirk of the game. And that's a beautiful quirk of the game. And I am very much getting into that side of it i don't mm. care about the, the 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 tried and true uh line about strategy is such garbage but it's me for me it's more fun to see every so often oh look at that the pitcher ran into one he had a home run that's hilarious as opposed to just cycling guys with extra days off such that it's like oh you get you know we've got buster posey gets to play an extra dozen games a year because he doesn't have to play, he can, doesn't have to catch or play first base. We can get him right off his feet. Like that's cool, I guess. Maybe Buster Posey isn't the best example, but like for me, oh look at that! This pitcher ran into a home, ran into one, hit a home run. That's hilarious. Or like watching Madison Bumgarner hit. Like that's fun. Or watching, you know, just those those few moments of joy. Like really, what else do we have in this world? Is like other than there's a randomness <laughs> and and people will love to point to the Bartolo Colon home run like it's one. But to me, it's more than that. So when pitchers look good at the plate, that's fun for me. Like Jay Happ could, was always uh, could swing it. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, who won't be playing this year, but he. Um, He's got a nice swing. He had a home run last year. To me, like uh, it's fine. It's fine. I I think that that, that I, I really I really liked. Uh, Jason Stark had a, a, a column I think mm-hmm. like a year ago, or I don't remember what, how long ago it was. Uh, but of, on the Athletic, Jason Stark of the Athletic, a, a legend, uh, where where he basically you know thought about and talked about this idea. It was like, what about if? You know, you can have a DH until the pitcher exits the game, and then in the later innings, the your D, you know your DH goes away. Mm-hmm. Or you know, there's creative ways to do it. And baseball is a game that has, you know, to its detriment, I feel a lot has rewarded creativity, quote unquote, because that's you know that's sort of often become like <laughs> McKinsey esque, like Houston Astros style creativity. Like, let's just kill off the minor leagues but you know i i i i don't you know i don't know that there is i don't know that 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 the posture that the it has to be either the dh exists or doesn't exist is the right way to look at it right like i think that, that you know you could you could do any number of things you're allowed to do all sorts of things it's it you know if you're if you're the the commissioner's office it's your league you know the nfl changes the rules or well this is i don't know if they have lately because i don't give a shit about football but for a long time the nfl would change the rules on pass interference every year mm-hmm. you know th- you know the, we talked about malleable and 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 we i talked about the last dance good yeah no it absolutely is good we talked about the last dance and uh earlier and we talked about it a lot off air but <laughs> you have you you try who who are you going to convince that watching the bulls and those stupid God awful goon piston teams or those shitty Knicks teams whose only hope 
was to knock the living snot out of Michael Jordan at every turn and then throw elbows at Scottie Pippen. Like, who wants a return to that? They're like, oh, you know, these guys. Like, you know what's fun? It's fun watching Kevin Durant go for 50 on a given day. It's fun watching <laughs> watching Kawhi Leonard play because he's not picking pieces out of, of his knee up off the floor all the time. It's fun watching guys who play above the rim. The game is better for it. And you'd be out of your mind. You'd have to be the most, like, ridiculous boomer <laughs> to be like, I miss the old days when they would just concuss guys when, when they got too close to the basket. To 76. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and even like they, and and, yeah. and of course baseball in their infinite wisdom, they decided to go in another way with it cuz I have been thinking I keep thinking about 2014. And the 2014 baseball season was grim. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people don't remember that. The Giants won the World Series that year, but like that was well, the year when at least nobody they had a World Series. I mean the following year. They, they well, that was one of the last ones. It was in fact the last one. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Nobody could hit. Everything was just like it was. Even though the strikeout rate wasn't as high, that Madison was, Bumgarner pitched like fucking seventeen games in the World Series. Somehow there was there wasn't even that many games. That, but he just they just kept <laughs> running him out there, and nobody could hit him. And and they, he just threw that belly high fastball that the Royals were completely <laughs> in, uh, ill-equipped for, and that was it. He just came up there and was like, "Here's ninety-two at the letters," and then every Royal was like, "I got it," and then they no, that was it. It was over. But twenty fourteen baseball was grim, even though it, it has it has it was it was the first year where it really like there was a shift. And then it's only it's only kind of gotten worse progressively in terms of like the, the number of balls in play and the style of the game and the the pace of the game. But 2014 was it. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily need to go back to that, but yeah, like baseball has to adjust. And if the DH is part of it, if not having the DH is part of it, I think it's just a matter of like um, just uh, it comes back to something we talked about a little bit before. It's like what are we watching for? Right? Are we watching for like the grueling, joyless efficiency and grinding out at bats? And I want to see, you know, I, I want mean, to see I do, I do like Troy Tulowitzki, so yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But one, one, another point that sort of, <laughs> but no, but no, but no, but you're right. And it's also like I don't know what's we we would be asking twenty year old baseball fans right now this question. That would be a vital, you know amount of information to come from people that age who are baseball fans but they don't exist or they they exist to watch blake snell and who won the the big league or the the players mlb uh the show tournament but they like that's the thing about a guy like blake snell or or bobichette who are they're playing and they're online they're having fun and they're doing what those people that age do and they say the word let's go constantly like it's they don't know any other words other than let's go let's go let's go that's all that he says and all all of them say uh but the, that's maybe is that's that what they like is that what the kids are doing let's go man let's go doing? that's the thing if you watch them nothing man. let's go watch when i was that age we did a lot of drugs but didn't say let's go let's but, go you know, okay that's let's fine. go <laughs> Even my kid says it all the time. She's like, something happens, cool shit. Let's go. I'm like, what? It's it's if it, what? here's a drinking game. Here's a drinking game for you. Go back and watch any uh-huh. of the World Series highlights, or watch even watch like a full game of world of a, of a World Series game from the last four years. And every time someone on screen says the word "let's go" or like mouths it, a player, take a drink, and then call um, the funeral home because you will be dead. Uh, you will have have died from drinking from watching. Every player say "Let's go" well, those, every time something good happens. Those two things could be unrelated, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say though was the it'll be interesting to see the way this plays out because of what and could end up being a very condensed schedule, much to my chagrin, could also mean expanded uh, rosters, which would be sort of like a bit of a sop to the players, a way to get the players' association on board if they say we're going to have thirty. 35, 40 man rosters, travel squad, whatever it whatever it might be. A way be. to save Anthony Alfred's job. Whatever, by hook or by crook, man. Let him get in there. <laughs> Let him get in. Hell yeah. But uh I don't know. There, there's time. It, 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 it does every week it starts to feel a little bit closer, but then every week goes by and we're not realistically any closer. Nobody's in camp. People are working out in other places around the world. They're they're oh they're starting to play uh they're playing baseball in Korea they're playing Bund- soccer the in Germany starting yeah uh, who do you have yeah. a German squad uh, do you support a German side well St Pauli obviously that doesn't count they're, they're not, not even in the, in the Bundesliga they're, they're not in the Bundesliga right now uh I don't I kind of hate Bayern but I love Aaron Robin and obviously fucking 
Alfonso Davies. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I can't really cheer for them. It's I don't know. Right. I. It's like cheering for the Yankees. If ever, if ever, I'm I'm starting a a, a, a save of football manager. I'm like maybe I should try the Bundesliga, but I don't know. Can't do it. Don't have a team. Who knows if we're going to see baseball anytime soon? Who knows what people are going to get paid? Who knows what anyone's going to say to Blake Snell? He's going to get booed more than he would ordinarily. As a Ray, he would be greeted by By a who? By which, by which crowd? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's it. His name is Andrew Stoughton. You can read everything that he writes at The Athletic. My name is Drew Fairservice. Make sure you go buy Todd's book about Roy Halladay. And we will talk to you next week on Birds All Day.